And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast live from Los Angeles, California. My last day on the beautiful West Coast. It's always so nice here. Bobby Marks, the season is approaching. How are you, sir? I'm good, Zach. Doing great. Working on a little bit of a training camp primer. That will come out on October 2nd. Um, but all is good. Primer. Primer. Who's who's going to be on what team? Uh, there was a lot of buzz about Dame. Dame-related, tangential Dame, Dame Industrial Complex, uh, yesterday, Thursday. It's Friday morning, 9 o'clock here on the West Coast. Not sure um, how accurate the buzz was or how much is actually um, going on. Uh, the buzz was not really Miami, directly Miami related. Uh, it, we all know that's where Dame, uh, wants to go. Um, Woj, I believe is going to have an update of sorts on NBA today in a few hours. I do not know what's going to be in that update, but stuff, something, some stuff is like mildly afoot. Do we have any idea what is mildly afoot? Well, I, I just think it's the, the listen, we're 10 days away from training camp. I mean, that's the reality of it here where Damian Lillard is going is going to report to Portland for training camp and there's going to be media day on Monday. Um, I think that's the first or second. Um, some teams start a little bit earlier. And I think if, if you're Portland, you're looking at the big picture like we need some clarity. I think if you're Lillard, you want some closure. And I think that's why we're hearing a lot more rumors um, and buzz. I mean, th- Thursday, there was a lot. There was enough buzz Thursday where for the first time in the month of September, I was out last night. I carried my I had my backpack with me <laughs> and my backpack has stayed home um, with my computer. Um, so I, I think th- the reality is that there there's both. Everyone wants some closure. Now it's a matter of, you know, um, Portland figuring out what's the best deal for them here. I also I almost canceled my dinner. I had a seven fifteen dinner in Los Angeles last night. I was very excited to meet this person for dinner, have a, have a nice meal. I almost canceled it and did not ended up feeling good about the fact that nothing was going to happen. Um, I I agree with you. I just think this is time pressure. Um, I still would bet on Miami, just just because I mean inertia tends to win. Um, other teams are definitely thinking through the idea of how worried are we actually that he's going to come here and say, well, I didn't want to be here. Can you trade me to the other place? I, I, you know, I think with the contract teams, just that's, that's a tough conversation for some of these other teams that are just, I don't even know how serious the interest is in some of these places that have been reported as like wild card teams or whatever. Um, that's definitely a conversation. I, I said on TV the other day, one, one GM of a team that I don't think has any real interest in Damian Lillard has, some assets to do it if they wanted to. I, I don't see it. Said the phrase "way station." Are we going to be used as a way station? Um, I, I don't know how to how to parse that. Um, Toronto has been mentioned, rumored as as a wild card team. That's why I had Kevin Pelton discuss. You know, is there a Toronto deal that makes sense? I don't think Scotty Barnes would be involved. I said that the other day. I think you could you could make you could make one be interesting. Good players going to go out. I I, I think um, be interesting. Any other teams that you? Uh, uh, we probably all spent yesterday making calls. Any other teams that 
you're newly on alert for? Yeah, I mean, I think you know you mentioned Toronto. Toronto is, is intriguing here. I just and we, uh, Kevin um, Pelton and I and Tim Bontemps, I think a week ago did this fake trade uh, article, and that was one of the teams that was mentioned. And I just thought there was so much risk there because let's say um, hypothetically um, OGs in a deal and whatever draft picks, and um, I think there's just risk from all both sides where a year from now Damian Lillard a year older with three years, $150 million. Uh, who knows what happens with Pascal Siakam looks and says, I want out again with, and then Toronto is basically left with, you know, Scotty Barnes and cap space to, to build around. I think it's, I think it's interesting. You know, we have, um, you know, Friday, which is uh, we're talking today is the first day that Giannis is extension eligible. Um, we have an article up on ESPN.com why he's likely not going to sign it and kind of the ramifications now and, and long term here. I think if you're Milwaukee, I think you're interested in maybe just kind of dipping your toe in to see what the availability of of Damian Lillard is, and certainly would cost you probably it would cost you Drew Holiday. Um, what's the value of Holiday around the league? A player that's on an expiring, he's got a player option for next year, expiring extension eligible, and uh, on February twenty second. Um, can you flip him if you're Portland for something more stuff or something else? Because I don't see how holiday fits, you know, certainly with, with the trailblazers here. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are some of the, that, those are some of those non Miami teams that, you know, certainly if you, you've kind of caught wind of a little bit. The other teams that have been mentioned, you know, across, across time now, since July, your San Antonio's, Utah's, Brooklyn's, New York's. I, I still just continue to hear no, uh, no, no, not like a hard, strong no, but just like doesn't seem like likely for us. New Orleans. Um, you mentioned Milwaukee. I just I can't see it. I I can't. I mean, I get why they would look into it for sure. I mean, the pressure that is on them now is extraordinary. They have Drew Holiday. And they have, I believe, one first-round pick they can trade. Yeah. And if you unprotect it, given the uncertainty, to be honest, that's a valuable asset. It's a very valuable asset. I just don't know that Drew Holiday on an expiring deal is fetching the Blazers through a third team the kind of bonanza that they're going to want, the kind of bonanza that has to trump the, you know, whatever you think of Miami's offer. There's stuff in it, like a pile of stuff. It may not be the most attractive pile you've ever seen, but it's a pile and Drew Holiday's on next. He's a very good player. I love Drew Holiday. I had him on my All NBA team last year. I thought he was outstanding. Maybe the best year of his career. Struggled in the playoffs again. And you're just in a position if you get him, where you either lose him for nothing or you pay him a lot of money as he enters his mid 30s. And I just don't know that the bushel is going to be there. Toronto is interesting just because they have these pieces, right? They've got Siakam and Anobi. They don't control all their picks because of the one they owe San Antonio. But, you know, you can finagle around that if you want. And obviously, if you're if you're trading for Damian Lillard, no matter what team you are, you have to be good enough either immediately or pretty soon, like within a trade deadline cycle, to, to make a real run at it. And if one of your good players, and you mentioned it, and OB, that's – that's just common sense to me. I'm not reporting that. That just seems like the most commonsensical one. Maybe Siakam because he's – I don't know. You're hurting your present-day team to bring in Damian Lillard. I just – the only thing I'm curious about the more I thought about it was 
you, you do have if, – if you're a team like Toronto in that case, you do have Damian Lillard under contract for a substantial amount of time. I do wonder if you have, if you have a discussion about, okay, yeah, maybe we don't have the ideal team right away. Maybe we don't have the ideal team after the trade deadline. Maybe we don't even have the ideal team after one free agency cycle at least right away. What if Giannis leaves Milwaukee? What if Philly implodes? What if the Donovan Mitchell thing becomes more uncertain for Cleveland? If we get Dame, Miami doesn't get him. What if Jimmy Butler gets a little older? Like, you can almost talk yourself into wagering against the rest of the East. Like, who else are we scared of? In three, in the next three years, yeah, we're imperfect. We have work to do. We have pieces to still get. I, I just think that's an interesting discussion. I still think it's just going to be Miami because of inertia. That I, by the way, that's not even reporting. To be clear, I have no, I, I don't know what with any certainty what exactly is going on. If you just asked me, Zach, you have to bet actual money, which I don't do on which team gets damn. I'm just still going to bet Miami because he's made it so clear that's where he wants to go. I don't, I don't. Do you disagree or no? No, I, I I agree with your well, I agree with Sarah. I mean, I think my, my Miami. I mean, we basically know what the parameters of what type of deal could be just based on what they have with whether it be Hero and you know the two big numbers, Robinson or Kyle, um, to make the money work, um, and then certainly the, the young players and then then the draft picks. I think I think going back to Toronto, Toronto is just interesting just because you know certainly Masai is a risk taker, but man, he he holds his cards to his vest i mean we went through last year's trade deadline when we thought that whole team could have been turned over whether it be uh van vliet going into the last it was uh, you know going to be a free agent and og and pascal now you're looking at the same situation with two players with um pascal and og who are extension eligible og i don't think is going to sign one because it's low and if you're toronto again it's like do we make a do we do we make a high risk move at, at the cost of og and if Pascal leaves, then we maybe do we flip Lillard again, but a year older and now three years left on his contract. Like that's kind of like, is it, we, do we see like there's kind of a little bit of a window you know, where the Eastern conference is here. But, um, but it, I think it, for me, it, it does go back to where, um, to where Miami is. And I think it's a matter of, you know, getting a third team involved. If, you know, if, if the hero component does not appeal to um, appeal to, uh, to Portland. Could be three. Could be four teams. Wouldn't surprise me if it turned into a four-team trade. Rarely, rarely do these big ones are just two. They're rarely clean, right? It's rarely just a two. You know, like two teams, six players, multiple draft picks. You, you're, you're getting. And and here's the other thing too, Zach. Why maybe a little bit of a sense of urgency is, it's a lot easier doing these deals. Um, we saw it last year with with Donovan um, Mitchell trade with Utah in uh, in um, Cleveland. It's a lot easier doing these deals up to October 23rd, because we're dealing with 21 players on the roster. You know, you, you, we've got expanded rosters right now where you could do a four for one deal. And, and basically you're just waving guys on exhibit 10 contracts. That's really it. When we get into the season, October 24th, pulling off a Miami deal or any of these deals, a five for two type deal becomes a lot more challenging because now we're waving guys. Now, now we're adding three or four teams to try to get rid of, um, to get rid of contracts. And some of those teams, I, I mentioned the, like a whole litany of teams that I, I still think are kind of lean. No, it just takes, it takes just a, a couple changes of heart to make lean. Yes. You just, you just never know. But I do think, uh, 
it seems like there's some acceleration towards something in the next couple. It could be a couple weeks. could be training camp. could be in camp. It doesn't have to be this weekend. Who the hell knows? Um, let's talk about the Indiana Pacers, a team I am very excited to watch this season that will rank high in the league pass rankings um, with Tyrese Halliburton and a lot of speed and a lot of Duncan and some interesting pieces. Uh, won 35 games, I think, last year. Over-unders 38.5 this year. So, so you know, I think this could be a, a play-in team for sure. And if things go right, maybe they get out of the play-in. Maybe, they, you know, I, th- I think there's a path for them to make the playoffs this year. Um, there was some news this week via The Athletic that Buddy Heald, uh, who was a valuable member of last year's team and has been one of the best high-volume three-point shooters in the history of the NBA, um, after extension talks have apparently fizzled, uh, that the Pacers, according to The Athletic, are working with Buddy Heald on finding a trade. So I ask you, Bobby Marks, I love, we, you know, trades, everyone likes talking about trades. Are there any Buddy Heald trades that you, that you like? Yeah, I actually brought out the whiteboard and have um, a bunch of Buddy Heel trades. So, first of all, $19.3 million this year. Uh, he's got some bonuses, likely bonuses in here based on three-point shooting that he reached last year. Uh, I think it's interesting. Um, the Athletic reported that extension talks fizzled because there heel that wasn't at a comfort level. I think if you're Indiana, and I'm just talking out loud from a front office perspective, not that they offered this. I think they have $7.5 million in cap space. He was renegotiation eligible. I think if you're Indiana, you're looking to maybe add that money there and then drop his number down, similar to what Utah did with Jordan Clarkson, right? Boost it up to like 25 and then drop it all the way down to like 15, 16 million dollars. And that would have been a tremendous deal with Miles Turner. Yeah. That would have been a tremendous deal for, um, you know, for them. Heald's 30 years old here. So here's one that I like. I'm looking at Oklahoma City. Shooters. They're not on my list. Shooters, shooters, shooters. Put some shooters around Shea. And basically, you know, certainly the Bertons contracts is probably going to be the one right just to get that you know um in in you know certainly there's with the new trade rules there's some flexibility but i'm looking at kind of bertons and a combination of like isaiah joe in like three seconds i don't know if that does it for um for indiana boomer sooner uh, boomer what's, sooner what's that yeah boomer sooner um isaiah, I, isaiah joe nice you know, here's another shooter. He's got a team option for next year, non-guaranteed. Berton's partial next year. Oklahoma, so you can do whatever you want with the draft picks. They've got so many first and seconds here. So that's kind of just from a philosophy standpoint as far as putting another putting shooters around um, Shea in Oklahoma City. I just think Isaiah Joe's good. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say no to that from Oklahoma City's perspective. But they're not on my list. Give me another one. Let's do rapid fire. If you well, have one, I we, we've heard Milwaukee. I I just have a hard time with Milwaukee just getting to the number. So you're at 19.3. You got to get to like 17 and change because it's 110%. They're a second apron team. Now you're starting with like it's it's too rich for a combination of Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton and then adding Bobby Portis. That is rich, man. That's, well, that... so, so Milwaukee was the first team I thought of. Yep. Just the idea of another just absolute knockdown, stone-cold assassin around Giannis appeals to me. Yeah. Allen and Connaughton together get you there, right? Is, aren't oh, they yeah, around the 18 combined? Yeah. yeah, definitely. And so Grayson Allen's on an expiring deal. He's good. He's good. 
Playoffs are never kind to him, but the playoffs won't be kind to Buddy Heald defensively. Buddy Heald's never played in the playoffs, by the way. I know. Connaughton, I've always liked Pat Connaughton. Had a, had a disappointing season last year. Fell to the fringes of the rotation when it really mattered. It's still two rotation guys for one who's probably the worst defender among the three of them, but also the best shooter. I just... Grayson Allen's expiring deal is semi-valuable. Pat Connaughton's on a three-year, $27 million deal. That's not a bad contract. I just don't know if it's enough of an upgrade and if, if, if I'm worried about his defense in the playoffs more than I am about Grayson Allen's. I don't know if I can do it. You certainly can't put – Portis is just too good. Yeah, yeah. To put in a Buddy yeah. Heel deal. Yeah. But they were the first team I thought of. I, it's, I, that, that, that's one I take a vote on, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Any other ones? Yeah, I mean, I looked at Memphis um, potentially here. List. I like it. Just where they are with um, – you know, certainly I think you would probably be looking at a canard swap um, for Heald and whatever else can go with it. Um, Kennard's got a, a team option for, um, for next year. I think, you know, certainly you could go smart and with Morant out smart healed Bane as your three guys, um, at least in the short term, if you had to, um, I looked at Dallas potentially. Um, I don't know if that they, Hardaway- the, they were the, yeah. they were the second team. I yeah, thought what of. Tim Hardaway's this- got Tim Hardaway's year. got two years yep. left on his deal, but he's got one. So if I'm Dallas, I got to pay something to get off a year of money and get a guy who's a better shooter. He's a l- less dynamic with the ball, but a better shooter. I, I guess I got to pay a second. Do I have to pay two seconds? I don't know. I, yeah, that's all they have. They've got two seconds in the, in the kitty here. Um, and, you know, you're looking if you're looking at players, you know, I mean, is it is Hardaway and Josh Green too much for Buddy Heal? Yeah, too much. I yeah. can't put Josh Green in. It's just got to be a straight up with a yep. couple of seconds next to it. And I don't know that Indiana wants that extra year of Tim Hardaway's money. Yeah. Um, that, but that was one that was on my list. I'll get, can I give you a couple? Ones? Yeah, sure. I thought about, um, Detroit, uh, just, I like the idea of shooters on a team that doesn't have a ton of it other than Bogdanovich who might be a trade ship. I, I thought, you know, a team that could, could stand to trade big for small cause they have so many centers. So I thought Bagley mm-hmm. and Killian Hayes, mm-hmm. um, but Indiana's just got so many bigs. I mean, we're going to talk about all their bigs. They have Miles Turner, Daniel Tice, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. I think they're going to be interested in playing Nawara some at the four. There's a lot of Jordan Nawara buzz. Toppin, Toppin is going to be their yeah. starter. The Walker kid they just drafted. Yeah. It's just I don't think that they're hungry. Naismith played big. a little four for them too. You know, like they've got yeah, like he, small. Like, you know, yeah, he might be the odd man out in their rotation, and I, I am the president and uh, czar of Aaron Neesmith Island yeah. and have been for a long time. I like Aaron Neesmith. Um, I thought about, um, I mean, the Lakers would be the funniest one because it's one of the roads not taken, uh, but they just don't have, no one is tradable right now. And I, I just don't see. To, uh, when he was in Sacramento, Kyle Kuzma. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I thought about both the Spurs and the Jazz just as like, I just like the idea of giving young players shooting like just make it easier for some of our young guys but the spurs have mcdermott i don't sense a lot of jazz interest so there are no my wild ones are charlotte um again a team that you know could uh, everyone could use shooting a little more clarity in the backcourt a good bench i I think buddy hill would still come off the bench if rogier and Lamelo are there and i can throw in 
Cody Martin, mm-hmm. who, who you know kind of fell to 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 the fringes last year, and is a player that's under contract for multiple years at a good number. And maybe Indiana is like, I, I want a player who's under contract. I want to trade an expiring for someone who can help my team. A wing, a legit, a, a, a legit okay wing is actually kind of what they need off the bench. And then maybe I get a shot at like Book Knight mm-hmm. or Kai Jones or both of them to make the yeah. money work. I mean, Kai Jones has had a very active social media uh, summer. Um, that's one I thought of. I I keep waiting. Orlando, Gary Harris, Gary Harris, and like Chuma Okiki, and a, and a couple of seconds just say, hey, you know what? Let's get let's get a knockdown shooter. Let's turn Gary Harris, who's a better defender by a long shot and I thought and I thought after injuries and injuries and injuries started to look like Gary Harris a little bit last year so maybe that's a no-go and then I'm and then I'm out of ideas yeah no I mean I I I get it I I think Orlando would be almost more like let's see where we are come mid-December and I don't know but I don't think Buddy Hill will be still on the board who knows you know maybe that's something that gets that's in there there you know they've got you know kind of the litany I guess of of guards but not really a shooter right i mean you look at Fultz, suggs anthony anthony black gary harris caleb houston that's like jet howard yeah jet howard um so that would certainly make uh make sense and as you said they've got that big expiring contract for gary harris big year for jalen suggs it's a big year given who they drafted and how high they drafted him it's a big year for jalen suggs um, I'm not giving up on Jalen Suggs, but he's got to start making more shots. I, I like his spirit as a player. Um, I like his his mentality. I just have to see some more shots go in. Let's talk about the Pacers as a basketball team and not just yeah. a factory for trades. Because I like this team. I think they're going to be a delight to watch. And Tyrese Halliburton has stamped himself as an all-star level player and, and someone who's just everybody's going to want to play with this guy. Um uh, Team USA kind of reaffirmed what he's what he's going to be in the NBA. It's funny, you know. I was I was talking about Lamelo a couple days ago with somebody, and like this person said, "Could you imagine like even a year and a half ago, if you had asked Lamelo versus like I remember on NBA Today, we were talking about Lamelo or John Morant two seasons ago. Lamelo mm-hmm. or Trey Young was like a popular one. Now it's like if you ask thirty GMs Lamelo or Tyrese Halliburton, I think it's like twenty ten Halliburton. Yeah." Um, yeah, it's kind of that it's the, I mean, certainly what, when, when a player is, is not available, um, certainly like Lamella was last year with the injuries, um, and Halliburton plays at a really high level and then he has a really good summer, you know, it's, it's like, I don't want to equate it to what we saw back in, I think 2018 when we didn't see like Kawhi for like two years. Right. And then, and then he goes to Toronto and we're like, man, this guy's good. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, if the Mel plays and he's available and he plays 65, 70 games, I think he can get back to that, you know, how we once talked about him. So their starting five, I would guess, will be Halliburton, Matherin, and the, the heel thing, whether they trade him or not, I think clarifies that Matherin's just going to start and we're going to roll with our lottery pick from last year, who was a rookie of the year candidate until kind of petered out a bit. Bruce Brown. Obi Toppin, Miles Turner. It's a fun starting five. 
at the one and the five, you have very good shooters for their positions, which allows the other three guys to slash and roll and dunk and do the stuff and cut and do the stuff that they do. The shooting between Matherin and Toppin from long range, if one of those guys has an uptick and becomes a serious three-point shooter, and I still have faith in Obi Toppin to do that, I mean, serious, I don't know, but make enough wide-open catch-and-shoot threes, that lineup becomes real interesting because it's going to be fast as hell and fun to watch. Off the bench, TJ McConnell's a great backup point guard. Andrew Nebhard. I mean, you talk to people there, even though I'm penciling him in off the bench, you talk to people there, I mean, they talk about this guy like it's going to be hard not to play him 30 minutes a game as a combo guard who can do a lot of stuff. Big, strong, bigger than you think, stronger than you think. That's two. Backup four and five, I think there's going to be a competition between a whole bunch of players. We just mentioned them. Jarris Walker, they drafted. Jordan Wara, they're high on. Backup five, Tice, I feel like, is the safer choice. Jackson is is the more exciting choice. Jalen Smith will factor into there somewhere. Backup wing, the other, the backup wing spot, I mean, maybe that's still Buddy Heald. I don't know. Like, that's a – that's a. I feel like it's both a, an interesting and deep team and a team that I'm trying to check my excitement on because it's still young and unproven. Like, I, I want to pencil them in as like a – really hammer the over at 38 and a half. This could be a 45 win team. Like all goes right. They could push for the sixth seed and like definitely get into the play in. I'm trying to check my excitement a little bit. Cause I feel like I'm getting, that's a little exuberant, but it's an interesting team that owns all its picks. And I, I just think they're worth watching based on how Halliburton develops and how this all fits. I think them and um, them and Orlando for me, those are the two teams, the non, you know, the, the lottery teams that weren't in, in the play in last year. Um, Indiana for me, and I, I wrote about um, when this article comes out, kind of what to watch. And certainly there's the healed factor we talked about. Matherin is going to be, he's kind of a little bit the X factor for me, just because of, you know, he started, he had such a really good first half of the year. And then he, you know, he, he dipped and, you know, I mean, uh, our great Matt Williams pulled some some stuff for me. You know, thirty two percent, thirty two point seven on jump shots, ranked in the bottom ten of one hundred thirty five players. Twenty eight six after February first. Yeah, summer league, off. summer league, thirty five percent from the field, twenty seven percent on threes. So he's, you know, I mean, he he's an X factor for me. But you know, there are there are a lot of good things that that he can do here, but I'm, I'm interested to kind of see where, where he's at. And you get the addition of Bruce Brown to this group, uh, Ben Shepard, who was their first round pick is a nice young guard. They're forgot deep. about, I forgot to mention yeah. him. They're deep. Maybe he, he gets in the mix for some of those yeah. backup wing minutes. Um, it's uh, it's a deep team. You know, we're not, we don't have the Turner rumors hanging over like we did last year here. And I think once you get a little more clarity with healed, um, you've got a nice mix of, of young players and, and, and certainly some of these veterans. Matherin, the stat that I would look at almost as much as the jump shooting is in 78 games and over 2000 minutes. So he played a ton, 116 assists, 152 turnovers. Yeah. I just think the tunnel vision um, has got to improve for him, and that's fine. He's a rookie, and he mm-hmm. is a an absolute bulldozer going to the rim who wants to dunk on everybody and inflict pain, which I like. Um, I just want to see a little bit more unselfishness and feel. Uh, Miles Turner, you know, through all the trade rumors, 
all the extension talks that resulted in a deal, all of it. I'm glad he's still on the team. He's only 27 years old, and he's good. Now, is he going to develop into the sort of in-space playmaker you would really love from a from a guy in the short roll and handoffs and all that stuff? That's the weak point of his game. But this dude is as good of a rim protector as there is in the NBA and is a legit three-point shooter. Like, that's... I know everybody wants more dribbling and skill and, like, all that from their from their pick-and-pop fives now. He's still a damn good player who opens the floor for all those other guys, who's a good pick-and-roll partner, pick-and-pop partner for Halliburton, allows Toppin to be a good pick-and-roll partner for Halliburton. I'm just, like, we've all been guilty of jettisoning him to all these other teams who need centers, and New Orleans was the sexy placer. I'm glad he's on the Pacers. He's good, and he's not, like, old, and they extended him on a good deal. He's a good player. He's on a damn good contract. I mean, two years, $40 million. I think he's the 10th highest paid center um, uh, in, in the NBA here. Um, but, yeah, I am – I am, uh, and I got a good coach in, in Rick Carlisle. You add that to that. And I think with Kevin Pritchard, um, he's – never really wanted to, to kind of it never embrace like a full rebuild. It's like, we want to be competitive. Okay. Let's see where we are at the trade deadline, right? Maybe we have to take a little bit of a step back and maybe we can add a little bit here, but um, I think where the East is shaking up, I don't think there's, there's no reason why we're not talking about them for, um, you know, playing back in six seed some, somewhere there. If they're not in the top 10, I'll be disappointed. Um and that's not as easy as it sounds when you've got like, um, you know, we all the strong teams at the top that are still depending on how things settle in the Dame and Harden situations, which are volatile. Uh, but, you know, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Cleveland, Knicks, Heat are all still good. Atlanta, I'm bullish on. Uh, Toronto, we'll see what they do. Chicago is like just Chicago and around still trying to sh- bulls their way into a decent team. Orlando was 500 over the last 50 ish games of the season. Charlotte is was 27 and 55 last year. Um, they're healthy now. And Steve Clifford is going to ring all the wins you can get. Like it's, it sounds like it should be easy to make the top 10 in the East. It's not going to be that easy, but I will be disappointed if the Pacers don't make it. This is an exciting team. You just hope they find somehow by hook or by crook the other all-star level player that they're going to need to be a, a, a true great team in two or three years around Halliburton. And look, this is a team that, as you said, has rarely bottomed out, found a way without a pick above number 10 to turn into what became the biggest threat in the East to the to the Heatles. Um, they just seem to find ways that I hope they find – a way to to build that kind of team and and uh it's it's an exciting project and i think people shouldn't sleep on the pacers they're going to be fun to watch this year and they're solid across the board no i i i, I totally agree with that i'm glad buddy healed gave me an excuse to really think more deeply about this team i like this team bobby marks go to work uh i will see you soon enjoy florida and uh let's go mets hashtag let's go mets Oh boy, it's another over. Losing, Come, another it, losing season for the for the Metropolitans. Coming to an end soon. Thank you. Well, at least you have the Jets. <laughs> oh yeah, that's even better. That's even. Do you have any? Do you even, like any sports teams who are good? Do you have a hockey team? No. 
I don't get a hockey team. Just pick a great hockey. Become a Golden Knights fan or something. You go to, we're gonna all be going it's to funny, Vegas all before, the time for be, the NBA. Be, but before we end this, I did give my 14 year old the lesson last year of what be, becoming a Jet fan means, and what it means is that there's going to be a lot of misery and heartache. And I gave him the out. I said, pick the 49ers, pick another team, and he said, no doubt, I'm gonna stick with them. And I said, okay, that's fine. But this is what you're no, going man. to deal with at some point in his life. And God's willing, yours, the Jets will win. And it will be all the more sweeter that he did not cherry pick, you know, whoever for for no reason, a great team as a, as a youth, as a youth, as a youth. Um, at some point they will win. And when they win, it will mean more. That's what I, t- that's what I've always told myself, you know, but that's the nature of sports fandom, right? That's, that's, that's what we that's, all do it that's for. That's the. That's the nature of sports. Bobby Marks, thank you, sir. Thanks, Zach. All right, let's bring in friend of the podcast, recently spurned by the Hoop Collective in in what is being billed as an internal scandal, wearing Mm -hmm. a hat that I need to get the next time I come down to Texas, Roller Town Beer Works, to talk about a couple teams we haven't talked about in a bit as preview season comes fast and furious. Media days are just a couple of weeks away. Preseason basketball will be here before we know it. We're going to talk about a couple Tim McMahon specials today with Tim McMahon. How are you? Howdy, partner. I am doing just fine. Of course, you know Rollertown Beer Works from their famous beer, the Big German, a Kolsch with minimal hops and a smooth finish. And yes, that is Named after Dirk. It's actually, if you want to grab one, you can get it at that. You know, Dirk's got a restaurant at DFW Airport now. He does? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's gate C, 30 some odd. Um, but, you know, they've, they've got them there. They can go grab you one right there. Dirk wearing this exact hat on the little sign outside, as a matter of fact. First of all, I do have to say, this is a family podcast. It's a wholesome podcast. And um, alcohol... Uh, alcohol-related paraphernalia. I'm a little disappointed in you, Tim. You know that I don't tolerate that. I am a tea teetotaler, tea tea whatever that thing is. Uh, uh, I am not. Tab. I am not that. I've got a bar tab from Denver that says differently. Oh God, you do. That's right. Uh, and by the way, I just want to make sure th- th- you're telling the truth. This is a the big German is a real beer, and I oh, hope absolutely. people got the joke. Minimal hops and smooth finish. I, that's just you, yeah, you, and you gotta and, like and, that. Yeah, and Dirk, Dirk is. Very clearly in on the joke, yes. But then it's it's a real it's tasty. I will have to have uh, I will have to have some when I come down. Keep it away from Luca. We'll talk about the Mavs uh, in a few <laughs> minutes. Let's go unconventional and start with the Utah Jazz, a team that is near and dear to your heart, a team that I have not talked too much about this offseason. and. You know, why not? The Jazz deserve a little love. They exceeded expectations last year. By the way, I, I, I should start by saying mm. I have I have rarely been as wildly incorrect Ooh. about a team and a player as I was about the 2023 Utah Jazz, mm-hmm. who I described in my league pass rankings in which oh. they finished 30th. And let me tell you this, the entire Utah Jazz front office is still giving me uh-huh. about putting the Utah Jazz 30th <laughs> in the league pass rankings. I described as less a basketball team and more a way station or a waiting area at an airport for everyone to get on different flights to other places. And lo and behold, uh, I underestimated the collective 
malleability, adaptability, IQ of the players, and Will Hardy, the coach, they all came together, found a way to maximize skill sets that would not necessarily have appeared um, to mesh all that well, and turned into a damn good team that won 37 games, and that includes kind of sputtering slash letting go of the rope a little bit down the stretch. This could have very well been a 500 team. And the player I was wrong about, and I've copped to it before, I sold all my Lowry marketing stock. Yeah. I sold it all. I had a lot. He was in my most intriguing players column years ago, he and Wendell Carter Jr. Just didn't seem like it was going to happen. And, I I mean, he did he win most improved player or did Shea? I must admit, uh, I'm not quite sure, but he he was he had a hell of a year. I mean, he was a legitimate all star. You know, he was an efficient 25 point scorer. Um, he scored in a lot of different ways. I am glad you brought up the league pass rankings because uh, it is still a sore subject there in Salt Lake City. I reached out to uh, some folks yesterday, and one of my uh, one of my friends in the jazz organization in the upper regions of the jazz organization, I said, Hey, I'm going on the low post tomorrow. Want to talk to you about some, uh, some of your guys. The first text back is, Oh good. I'm sure Zach will have us ranked last in his league pass rankings again. So still, still a bit of a sore subject there, but no, look, you were wrong about Lowry marketing. Cool. You know, who's wrongest was the Chicago Bulls. It's not like you were just out in the wilderness on this. And, you know, the the Cavaliers, like, it worked out great for them because they were able to use marketing in a trade to get a guy who will see what the future holds for Donovan Mitchell and the Cleveland Cavaliers, but at least a shot at uh, a, a perennial all-star player there. But marketing – and it, it – it started really when he went to play uh, for Finland in Eurobasket, and you saw him doing all these things like, dude, you know, because you, you kind of got to the point where you started thinking of him as like a seven-foot spot-up shooter, right? Like a seven-foot floor spacer. And you saw, wow, man, this guy's like grabbing rebounds and pushing pushing on the break and finishing. Like, man, he's scoring off the dribble. He's, he's doing all kinds of things. And Will Hardy's thing when when uh not just with marketing, but with, with everybody on his team is is more like let's not assume they can't do these things, let's see what all they can do. And especially with marketing, it was just like, you know, let's just keep on spoon, you know, keep on feeding this guy and, and see how much he can eat. And the answer was a whole lot. And so, you know, the question with marketing now is. Where on a pecking order of a, of a potential contender would he be? Can he be the second best player on a contender? Uh, you know, is, is he a really good number three? You know, obviously they, they'd have to get one and potentially two, and that's a, a down the road thing. But there's no doubt that marketing's a guy that uh, that they can build around for a while. Yeah, I find those questions: where does he slide in on the on the theoretical contender to be so context based? Like, I think depending on who number one and number three, and number four are, there are teams where he could be the second best player on a great team. I think there are probably more teams in which he would be number three. But look, I mean, I can't remember a player who leapt from, in one season, um, I sold my my stock to, is he going to make the All-NBA team? Like, is he my yeah. last cut for the All-NBA team? I mean, that is as big of a leap, basically, as you can take. Mid-career, he's 26 years old. He's not young anymore. He's not old by any means. He's right in the fat middle of his prime. Um, and 
as you said, the down the road questions are, are down the road. Um, you mentioned Donovan Mitchell, who Brian Windhorst and others have said is unlikely to extend with the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, at, at first opportunity or at next opportunity even. I mean, we'll see. Um, the, the coolest thing about what's happening in Utah is, I mean, they own so many picks mm-hmm. from teams where you could reasonably see I mean, Cleveland, even if Mitchell leaves, should be kind of insulated from any right. devastating downside with Garland and Mobley. Minnesota is has Ant, so you would think they should be um, insulated from devastating downside. They have a Lakers pick as well that's top mm-hmm. four protected in one season. The, the cool thing about having all of those picks is you don't have to worry so much about tanking on your own to get the mm-hmm. proverbial, the theoretical number one option. You can try to do what they did last season, which is, hey, let's let's get these guys in some games that matter, see what they can do, get them some experience, and maybe we can have the best of both worlds someday. By the way, just as an aside, I, this must have happened while I was away. When did What is all like the – why did I come back from vacation and everyone on NBA Twitter was angry – that people were trying to get, like, think about Anthony Edwards getting out of Minnesota at some point. What what did I miss on this? It Listen, felt like everybody was angry about something that like didn't happen, or I just must have missed it. I, I what happened? I, I I think what you missed was he played in the World Cup. He was kind of the most prominent player on Team USA. I saw that. that, that I saw spark, that. So that spark conversation. Somebody said it. Uh, some former players. I don't remember. Yo, Minneapolis look, is a cool town. Minneapolis okay. is a cool town. Go, it's a go, cold be, town. go be, go be. It's, it's, cold it's cold and cool. Go be KG 2.0 and let let it let it ride as long as you can. Like mm, like why listen, not? That, that's a down the road conversation. There's pressure to build around him because he's that type of a player. Um, you know, it's a but it's a down the road conversation. It's we're at least two, probably three years away from that potentially being a, a talk. And, and so back to the Jazz, you know, feel good season, have all these picks. And yet you look ahead and you're like, I mean, they not only do they don't do they not know who the quote guy is going to be unless marketing makes another leap, which I, yeah. I kind of don't see coming. But maybe who knows? He was they most improved last year, by the way. He was. I know. Um, I just looked it up and our producer, Dan, reminded me something that did not happen that long ago. And both of us should, frankly, be able to remember that and did not. Um, their ball handling future is so uncertain yeah. that, um, I mean, we'll see what Keontae George can give them as as a rookie. Um, they really like him. They have some other uh, – Ochai Agbaji is going to be more of a wing, I think, than a mm-hmm. semi-primary ball handler. We'll talk about him. But that's the big question going forward is, like, you have to look around the league today and think – if we don't get that guy in the draft somehow, and maybe they will, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Who three, four years down the road is going to be available, safely under contract, because this is still Utah, and we can put this bushel of picks in play for? That might be a conversation for another day. Let's go back to this team. Yeah, let's talk about their ball handling present, right? Because so, it, it's murky. It's it's murky. There, there are some candidates there. Um. But I think that's the biggest question about this year's team and, uh, you know, big picture down the road. It's one star power to that guy. And they really like Keontae George. You know, they had three first-round picks. He was the only one available for summer league because of health issues. They they feel, though, he is the most ready. He looks the best 
of that rookie class. He was impressive in the summer league. Um, you know, the the comps, uh, a very common comp for him coming out is a guy who's on the roster who just signed a contract extension. It's Jordan Clarkson, which is that, you know, he's, he's a starting two guard now. Um, obviously, he's been a six man most of his career, but basically a, an instant offense, uh, smaller two guard type. But they want to find out if Keontae George can be a lead guard. Will Hardy would love for Keontae George to develop into, and he he uses the term lead guard. He doesn't say point guard because you know, like, what's a point guard in today's NBA? Guy who has the ball and runs pick and rolls a lot. Right, that's what we're, we're talking about. Right, and it, and not in the John Stockton style. Right, like the the, the old table setter. Uh, you know you. Look around the league, you talk about the best point guards in the league. They're averaging 25, 28, 30 points per game. And, and you know, the goal is to find out, hey, can Keontae George be the, the kind of player who he's your primary uh, offensive initiator? Um, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker showed some things towards the end of last season. They feel like he's had a really good summer, you know, physically looks good going into a contract year. Maybe he can be part of the future. Maybe that contract is something that could be part of a trade to be determined. I, I'll say this. It wouldn't shock me at all if Chris Dunn starts a point guard for him. Um, he's a guy who he was out of the league. He was in the G League. He'd barely played in the NBA for like three years or so since he kind of went bust uh, with the Bulls. But they signed him to, I think it was a couple of 10 days in the rest of the season last year. And he played well for him. And, you know, like, you know, he can guard. The question is, can he, like, is he going to kill you offensively? He was solid for him last year. And, and, and again, they feel, like I said, they feel good about him. I would not be surprised at all if he ends up starting at point guard or, or at least playing a, a lot of minutes for that team this season. Saying Chris Dunn can guard, and I know you don't mean to do this, is, is underselling. Yeah, I thought I believe it was the pandemic interrupted season nineteen twenty. I thought he was the best defensive guard in the NBA. It's borderline uncomfortable watching him with his giant arms and just super strong body, just harass people, bully people, envelope mm-hmm. these little guards, get in the passing lanes. He's phenomenal. I agree with you. He's going to be in the mix of what is a very crowded backcourt. Look, if you ask me, like. What their starting five is, I only know three spots for sure, and they're the three front front court spots: Markinen, Collins, Kessler. John Collins is on the Utah Jazz, by the way. A lot of people probably right. forgot about that. John Collins, former Atlanta Hawk, that same guy, same dude, now plays for the Utah Jazz. They traded essentially nothing to get him. Yeah. I actually like him uh, in in this group, although he's gonna fit in the starting five. He's gonna face the same problem of they have a big guy who rolls to the rim, just right. as that was Clint Capella's job. Um, in Atlanta, so what is John Collins going to do? But Will Hardy solved a lot of these problems last year, figured out what all these guys could do, what's a skill that you can lean into, even if the fit doesn't appear optimal. And then in backup lineups, either mm-hmm. with Kelly Olynyk or just as the only true big guy on the floor, he can get into that roller mode. But um, let's just zoom out beyond the rotation. Steam won 37 games last year. Ninth in offense, and again, that's despite sliding down the rankings toward the end. This was a top five offense for a lot of the season, which is like incredible when you think about it. Yeah. 23rd in defense, which tracks 37 and 45. 
their over-under for this season is 35-and-a-half. So Vegas, across the board, is projecting them to win fewer games despite having won 37 last year and bringing back everybody. I ask you, Tim McMahon, why do you think that is and do you think it is accurate slash fair? Uh, I don't think it's anything necessarily related just directly to the Jazz roster. I mean, the West, I think, is stronger than it was a year ago. But look, they won 37 games last year. And they tanked blatantly down the stretch. I mean, to the point where when I was quizzing uh, folks uh, in, in the league office about, hey, like, if you're going to do anything about this Mavs tank of Palooza in the last week of the regular season, they're like, somebody actually said to me, Are you, how come you haven't asked us about the Jazz? And my reply was, oh, I don't remember Ryan Smith getting fined 600 grand for talking about tanking a couple of years ago. Um, but they tanked, last, they tanked down the stretch last season. They were basically a 500 team. They were 35 and 36, and then they kind of, they went into tank mode. Um, so I would take the over on that. You know, I, I, I guess one thing you could say is a lot of the reason they were a 500 team was, was the work that they did when Mike Conley was on the roster. Uh, obviously, he was traded just before the trade deadline uh, in a trade that uh, – you know, really didn't bring them anything immediately. That is the trade where, and it wasn't just Conley. It was Conley. It was, uh, yeah, it, it, it was Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving somebody else, somebody else uh, out of that. But, you know, they, they were more competitive than anticipated for the first half of the season. Um, but, you know, Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck and Ryan Smith didn't, you know, they, they weren't like, hey, Let's see how good this team can be because the answer probably was maybe a play-in team. And so obviously kept their their eye on the uh on the bigger picture there and you know were aggressively exploring trades and then you know ended up settling on the uh the deal where they got that Lakers top four protected pick. I believe it's a it's a 27. So you know, I that's something that would make sense Vegas wise is when you're looking at their record. As much as you want to say they tanked down the stretch of the season, it's yeah, a lot of those wins were with guys who were, you know, in Minnesota or uh, the Lakers rotation now. I think it's a fair line. I might actually take the under. And again, it's just that the Jazz kind of stayed the same. I think, I guess they traded for John Collins. They didn't even say the same. They drafted all these guys, at least a couple of whom are going to get cracks in the rotation. The Hendricks kid, they got at nine. He wasn't healthy mm-hmm. for Summer League. We'll see if he plays. Certainly, George is going to get minutes off the bench, yeah. I think. So they're not the same. But the West is better, top yeah. to bottom. Everybody's trying to win. Even the Spurs have Wembenyama. We'll see how aggressively they try to win, but they have some talent. You know, I, I do think this could be one of those have your cake and eat it two seasons where. You're competitive, you're playing hard, you end up 32 and 50, and you have a top five, six pick in the draft. I mean, or, or, or better, you get a little, like they could, they could kind of do both at the same time with this group because I do think the West beefed up around them. There are no easy outs anymore, and they're not catching anybody by surprise, and they have some right. uncertainties, particularly in the backcourt, that they've got to figure out. Yeah, and, and I do think you, you mentioned – Three guys in the starting lineup. I'd be very, very surprised if Jordan Clarkson doesn't start. Um, you know, Me too. Really played well as a starter last year. Is the veteran leader on that team. Is a beloved, you know, culture guy. 
throughout the organization. You know, uh, I don't know that they discussed specifics about his role when he signed that contract extension, but signed a contract extension that I think is relatively team friendly. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I refreshed my memory looking at the number today. It was two years, 28, 14 apiece. I'm actually kind of surprised he signed – a little surprised he signed that. Like that's not – that's not that's a good deal for the Jazz. Maybe it's a good – maybe he just looks at the cap landscape and says, you know what? No one has cap room. The CBA is scaring people. Yeah. I'll take $28 million. That's fine. Yeah. But, again, I I, I do think he'll be uh, in the starting lineup. But you mentioned like have your cake and eat it too. The, the worst case scenario for the Jazz is they are – uh, a, a play-in team that gets bounced or just misses the play-in. And, well, boy, there's the 11th overall pick. There's a 12th overall pick because that's not their pick. Their pick is top 10 protected, owed to Oklahoma City for the Derek Favors salary dump. So, um, you know, I know there's new rules in place, but if you get down to the stretch of the season and you're in that territory, there might be some, there might be some, uh, you know, tender hamstrings or things along those lines. I agree with you. Clarkson's going to start. I think he might actually start at point guard, and I'm rooting for him to start at point guard because if I'm Utah, I'm throwing Ogbaji into the deep water right away. I want him starting mm-hmm. at the two. I want to see what he can do as a starter. I want to see what he can do surrounded by our best players. I want to see how he defends and what he does against the other team's best players. So if it's me and I'm Will Hardy, I'm going Clarkson, Agbaji, Markinen, Collins, Kessler. And off the bench, I don't know what the hell I'm doing except probably Sexton's got to play. Colin Sexton also still yeah. on the team. Probably George has to play. You always have one of Olinick and Collins backing up. Walker Kessler. They don't really have a true backup center, I think, that's going to get minutes. And then it's just kind of like, are you going to play THT? Are you going to play Fontecchio? Fontecchio was pretty good in Eurobasket. Had Mm -hmm. some moments last year. Kind of a tweener forward. Are you going to play Hendricks? I mean, there's other guys. we Does Dunn get minutes? I I don't know what happens off the bench, but I like that starting five. You think think Agbaji starts or no? I I think it's totally up in the air from what I've heard. Yeah, I do think it's up in the air. Uh, And, you know, just mentioning Colin Sexton, like, could he start? Possibly, I guess. But I I do know that they consider him long-term to be that six-man type of guy. I would expect them to want to keep him uh, in that role. Um, you know, uh, a, a guy who uh, he kind of compares to, it just happens to be on the Jazz's coaching staff, and that's Jason Terry, who obviously was a starter for a long time in the NBA, but had his best years uh, as a sixth man, including on the uh, 2011 NBA championship team in Dallas. And so, you know, an awfully good guy to be working with Sexton on a daily basis. But yeah, there's they're, they've got a lot of people. And look, what the Jazz roster looks like now and what the Jazz's roster looks like uh, after the trade deadline, it, it could be drastically different. And, 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 you know, you just know, you know, Danny Ainge is always, you know, along with Justin Zanuck, those guys are always going to explore the opportunities. And it's not, it, their vision is not how good can we be this season? It's, you know, how can we get really good as soon as possible? And so, you know, they've got a ton of picks. Uh, they and and that doesn't mean they they wouldn't stockpile more picks because obviously, if if they're going to ever trade for a superstar, it's going to be a pick intensive uh, package. But 
I would anticipate that the Jazz would be one of the more aggressive teams in the trade market again this season. To go, to go either way, because they have a lot of interesting players that could help contenders. I, I mentioned the backup five situation. You know, Kelly Olynyk's on an expiring deal. He's extension eligible. I would be a little surprised if an extension got done there just because that expiring deal could be in yeah. this new cap environment could be an interesting trade chip. Kelly Olynyk's good. Um, and they have, like, interesting wild cards on the roster. Like, I just – Yurt7 – from Miami, I, 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 on a non-guaranteed deal, he is an incredible offensive rebounder with good touch. Like, that's worth the flyer. Samanich is still here. Romeo Langford is hanging around on a non-guaranteed deal for some reason. Who knows who could, who could emerge? A um, couple of housekeeping notes. Trades, you just hinted at trades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bobby and I just talked a little bit about Damian Lillard. I've never sensed any appetite for Utah to to dive into those waters unless the price got so low as to be irresistible. Yeah, not um, not ag- not aggressively, but like as you said, it would have to be the the sort of deal that that Portland is turning its nose up. Uh, and I, I I made a couple brief inquiries about Buddy Heald because I just thought you know we're talking about the backcourt and the uncertainty about the backcourt and. Do they have a pure shooter on the team? Maybe Agbaji kind of steps into a little bit of that role, but Buddy Heald is Buddy Heald, and I just I didn't sense a lot of I didn't sense a lot of interest. Um, yeah, again, I think any trade they do is going to be more about two years from now than it is uh, right now. And the thing with Heald, obviously, expiring contract, and clearly he wants to get paid. Uh, then you start talking about timeline. You know, Markin in twenty six, the other guy who's a, a unquestioned foundation piece there. Walker Kessler, you know, obviously going into his second season. Uh, Igbaji was the third guy who they told teams going to lead up to the trade deadline was, was off limits in conversations. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I, it, it's premature to call him a foundation piece, but it's that, that kind of indicates to you their optimism about him. I, I, I liked what I saw from him in, in limited minutes last year, particularly at the end of the year. Another part of the Donovan Mitchell trade, by the way. Um, they, get, yeah. they, got, they got everything you can get um, in that trade. And, like, we skirted over Collins. Mm-hmm. I still think John Collins is good. He's got his flaws as a player. Um, makes mistakes here and there in terms of scheme. He's really, really skilled. The shot has gone wildly up and down. I wouldn't I wouldn't just skirt over that. I understand his place in the starting five is a little strange. This team is very big. Yeah. Like Lowry is a kind of a three again, like he was in Cleveland, like he was last year. I, I am excited to see what Will Hardy has in store for John Collins because he's a good player who kind of fell off the map a little bit last year in Atlanta, and mm-hmm. either he's going to be good in Utah or they should want to rehabilitate his reputation as a player, not as a person. He's a fine guy, great yeah. guy. I like John Collins a lot as a trade asset. Um, and it, what it was a great, I mean, to get him for nothing is a great piece of business for them. Yeah. And I, I would say be patient in judging the John Collins fit with the jazz, because it's probably going to take some time, right? Both him kind of learning how to play in their system, the way that they want to play after playing in Atlanta, where obviously the ball is going to be in the hands of Trey young, the vast majority uh, of the time. Uh, also, he is accustomed to playing with a you know, a non-shooting big man, but there's going to be some some fit issues there. There's going to be some things that John Collins has to figure out. More so, I think that Will Hardy's going to have to figure out. You know, I, as you mentioned, just from a 
you know, quick uh, fit standpoint, it's probably going to be easier for him offensively when he's on the floor with Kelly Olenek, who can shoot the ball, who can, you know, kind of serve as a as a facilitator. Uh, Olenek can space the floor if, if if Collins is the role guy in uh, you know in, in pick and rolls. <laughs> if you ask Walker Kessler, he could tell you, "Hey, give me a chance. Let me you know, let me get some corner threes. I, I was gonna say Walker <laughs> Kessler kind of disappointed for Team USA. He's he's gonna be a stud in the NBA. Don't, don't let that performance fool you. The guy didn't get a ton of minutes. He, whatever, like he, he's going to be really good. Uh, and Olenek, you know what I said before, I'd be surprised if he gets an extension. I, I, I would be surprised, but Danny Ainge has always had a soft spot for him. If you can get him on a team friendly deal, similar to the Clarkson deal, something like it, it's not, it's not a, the craziest idea. I mean, like, why not? It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I, I would bet against it, but it wouldn't shock me. Uh, I'd be surprised if he got one before the trade deadline. Fair enough. You know, okay. just, just because th- that takes him out of conversations. And if the Jazz going to be talking to teams because of the, the expiring contract and because he's a guy who can help contenders, I think Olenek would be one of the, the, the guys who other teams are, are asking. I know a lot, you know, they were asked about him a lot last year as well. And it, Nothing ended up happening, but uh, I would think you'd want to keep your options open there. All right, let's move to your hometown team, the Dallas Mavericks, that we have not talked a lot about since just the initial reaction to what was a very active offseason for them. Uh, Omax Prosper in the draft, Derek Lively in the draft, Seth Curry, Dante Exum. Uh, Rashawn Holmes in a salary dump, Derek Jones Jr., Grant Williams sign and trade, probably the headliner, I, home run fit to me. If I'm plotting out their starting lineup, it's the two big stars who are back together, mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. The Mavs were 5-11 and 11 with the two of them in the lineup. I'm not going to go crazy about that. With both of them on the floor, they were plus 49 in 444 minutes. That's quite good. Their offense was predictably out of this world. Defense. So so, uh, so those two. Wow, that is a very pleasant way to put it. <laughs> well, their defense with them on the court, 115 points allowed per 100 possessions, is is just plain bad. It's not like astronomically bad. It's just plain bad. They did uh, achieve that number with opponents shooting horribly from three point range. So perhaps it was a little qualitatively actually worse than that. But that will be obviously that's the big question for this right. team. They're going to have a great offense with these two guys. Defensively, we'll see. Those two, Josh Green, Grant Williams, and Dwight Powell, who I affectionately referred to as an NBA cockroach last week on the podcast, just can't cannot kill Dwight Powell as a starting center. I think they'll open competition for that spot. Yeah. Um, off the bench, you're probably going to stagger Kyrie and Luka so they get to cook individually. That makes a lot of sense. Tim Hardaway Jr. Kleba is going to be in there. I think they might pencil Kleba in as a backup four to start the season who slides to five, some just to give Rashawn Holmes a chance or to give Lively a chance. Um, and then you got this sort of brigade of wings, the Currys, the Exums, the Hardys, the Prospers. I would imagine Jones. playing Seth, playing with Seth, Seth Curry with Kyrie Irving, that's probably too small. Maybe you just set it up so Seth Curry plays when Luka is the stagger guy. Um, and Derek Jones Jr. provides a lot of interesting – flexibility you could play him at the four with either grant williams or maxi kleba at the five and have him be the rim runner for luca we know luca loves lob catchers rim runners 
This team, I don't know how the hell to project them in the West, which is absolutely loaded. This is a this is a team where the fit. This is going to sound crazy considering who their two best players are. The fit is greater than the talent, particularly below the first two guys. I mean, the first guy is by himself capable of turning you into a 50-win team. That's Mm -hmm. why I kind of don't know how to project them because below Luka, who, again, by himself is a potential 50-win team, by himself with fit, with fit, with shooting. Because I was going to say they weren't – they they, it didn't happen last year. With with fit that makes sense, and I think they have fit that makes sense. He he alone is good enough to get them to that level if he's healthy and in shape. And he looked in shape in Eurobasket, and, um, and playing both ends of the floor. And well, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, Which is and Ky- related to being in shape, but yes. And then uh, and and Kyrie, and then the drop off from there. Like ever, all the other players are like decent. Mm-hmm. All the other players have been backups here and there, or for most of their career. So it's. But they, they all fit, and that's what I mean by fit greater than talent. I think their over-under is like 44.5. I would take the over just on star talent, uh, but but I, I just I don't know how to fit this team in the Western Conference hierarchy, and I'm wondering if you can maybe help me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously last year was an immense uh, disappointment to go from being a Western Conference Finals team to – uh, being a a not even a play-in team. And, and yeah, they tanked down the stretch of the season, but they tanked because they weren't going to be a play-in team anyway, right? That It wasn't in their favor. They, and they had a top-10 protected pick that they decided they had to keep, um, which made sense. The problem wasn't that they the tanking strategy. The problem was that the tanking strategy made sense <laughs> for a team. And by the skin off. of their teeth, they yeah. kept it. Then they traded down. Got yeah. off Bertans and got the guy they actually wanted in Lively. That was a great trade. And then they picked mm-hmm. up the Prosper pick in the home salary dump. Mm-hmm. I, I, they had a great summer. Like I think Grant Williams is a, just a perfect fit on a great contract. I I, I agree with that. Um, they gave up a hefty price to get Grant Williams, though. That, they, that pick and, you're talking about the pick swap and Reggie. I'm Bullock talking about that. that. Listen, that is a huge risk. It's a 20-30 pick swap with San Antonio. And listen, this is a team that is all in on trying to build a contender around Luka, as you have to be when you have that kind of a talent and you know understanding the way that things work in the modern NBA. If this doesn't work out, though, woof. Because you've given up your 2029 first rounder unprotected to get Kyrie, which, you know, this is all related. And now your 2030, it's an unprotected swap with San Antonio, which you assume San Antonio with Victor in year, what would that be, seven or whatever, is is going to be good. So there's a massive risk there. And they gave up, they they moved Bullock uh, in that deal. And I'm not going to sit here and and pretend that Bullock is, you know, an all-star or anything like that. I think Grant Williams is certainly an upgrade. I will say this, though. I don't know who's guarding all these really good point guards that you're going to run up against because that was Bullock before. It's it, Grant Williams is a outstanding defensive player, a versatile defensive player. You don't want him. Yeah, I can't waste his 
I can't use his size there. That's not well. His, also, he you can don't guard like, up and down, but the small, quick guards give him trouble, even in switches. But certainly as a primary assignment, I like I don't know. I don't know who's guarding those guys, and the, that the the Mavericks will score. They scored last year with with Luke and Kyrie. They they were lighting it up offensively. You know, there was some stuff down the stretch, crunch time where you know they didn't figure it out. Whatever. They will put points up on the board, and a lot of them. But, you know, Lucas said it himself last year, we can't stop anybody. Is that going to change? They they tried. That's why you went out and, and got Grant Williams. That's why, uh, you know, you, you you target a guy like Omax Prosper in the draft. You know, Lively, I think, will play some this year. Uh, I just ran into somebody the other day well, with the Mavs who says I'm more optimistic about him now than I was uh, even in summer league, but the thought there is, hey, he might really be a, a impact contributor later in the season. You know, he is more of a project. You know, Derek Jones Jr. I think can can help them uh, defensively. But again, I, I I don't know who's guarding. You know, the 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 Steph Curry's and the uh, you know John Morant's once he's back, and I go down the the. Western Conference, like you're going to run into a really good guard on the vast majority of teams that you might see uh, come play, you know, Jamal Murray come playoff time. Um, and so will there be defense? And then the other thing you got to ask is, will there be drama? You need well, much yes. better defense and no drama. Well, you got to minimize the drama and maximize the defense for this team to have a chance to do anything that would remotely ease the pressure in the big picture. Yeah, I think 10, 12 years ago, if you studied championship teams, finals-level teams, then an elite defense was slightly more important to a championship-level team than an elite offense. You needed to be good at both. But if you parse the data, I remember doing this in like 2010, elite defense was a little more important. That's flipped now in this era of you can't touch anybody – on the perimeter, everybody shoots threes, pace, small ball, skill ball. Elite offense has probably surpassed elite defenses. Yeah. The most important building block of a championship team. That doesn't mean you can win with a defense and just outscore right. everybody on the way to a title. You still need a competent defense. And I don't care what teams you look at, whether it's last year's Nuggets team, an incredible offensive machine built around probably the best offensive player in the world, had a top 12-ish defense in the regular season that was a little better than that when they tried the Cleveland Cavaliers who did not win the title in 2017 one of the greatest offensive mm -hmm. teams ever seen they were like a 13th 14th best defense in the league better than that when they try you still need to be decent if the Mavs can be fourth in offense and 12th in defense 16th in defense is probably like around there is probably right. where it gets iffy they got a shot to do um some damage you mentioned Omax. That Those backup wing minutes are going to be really interesting because Exum shot the hell out of it internationally, figured that part of his game out. Jaden Hardy, I think, has got to play. He he showed enough last year off the dribble, uh, shooting threes, which has been up and down for him across his, 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 his all other levels of basketball he's played. And he's got a 6'9 wingspan. To answer your question about who's guarding point guards, maybe it's Josh Green to start games if he indeed wins that starting spot. And I, I hate to say this, I hate to burden him with this responsibility, 
sometimes it's going to just have to be Kyrie Irving. Like you're going to have to defend yeah. your opposite numbers. Sometimes that's just the way it is. He's a capable defender. He's big. He's tough. He can get around screens. Like when he buys in, he's a capable defender. And like sometimes the answer is just going to be him. And if you want to win, like that's just going to have to be the case some nights. Yeah, and you mentioned Dante Exum. I think he can be part of that solution. You know, he's a guy. He's always been able to defend in the NBA. He couldn't shoot before, and he couldn't stay healthy. That's why he ended up out of the NBA. Um, you know, if he stays healthy, at least in Europe, he shot the ball really well. You know, it, 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 he shot it at forty-two percent last year in the Euro League. So, you know, that's a I, that's another one. I think they did really well in the minimum market. You know, I, I, with with him and Derek Jones, like they wanted to get better defensively and more athletic. Those two guys, to me, are, are really nice uh, minimum type of signings. But you know, it, like the maximum guys got to buy in on the defensive end. But you know, as you just said, with Kyrie and with Luca, and look, there's a, there's a lot of factors in this, but. A primary reason that the Mavericks fell apart late last season is because Lucas stunk on the defensive end. And a primary reason why the Mavericks really got it rolling the year before and you know made that Western Conference championship run. Yeah, it was because Jalen Brunson really had a bust out season, but it was because that team went from a bottom 10 defense to seventh in the league. And a lot of that was Luca buying in. They are going to build a defense in large part around minimizing Luca's responsibilities, protecting him. I always say one of his best defensive attributes is the ability to hide him on various different positions. Um, when he is in shape, able to give effort on that end, willing to give effort on that end, he's obviously a very intelligent player. He has great hands. Uh, he is a very good uh, rebounder, defense rebounder in particular. Um, he, he's got all those things have to be rolling. He's got to be, as J Kid likes to say, willing to participate defensively because it didn't happen down the stretch last year. And that's how you go five and 11 with, uh, you know, two max salary superstars on your roster. And look, uh, to be clear, you and I talked after the trade for Kyrie and said, we wouldn't have done this trade. Like, we, mm -hmm. just, we just don't want to be in that business. Offensively, I think the Mavs are going to be vindicated for that trade. I think it's going to work offensively for them. To, to review, they gave that 2029 first to Brooklyn, which is unprotected, Dinwiddie, Finney-Smith. Mm -hmm. That was about the ceiling of what Kyrie Irving was going to draw as a trade target then. It's a comp that's being used across the league right now for James Harden, another sort of um, troublesome nettlesome situation. I don't think I've ever said the word nettlesome in my entire life until right now. Um, that's an exciting moment when you think you say a word for the first time. Um, Especially a Dartmouth guy using a new word. Yeah, that's a long time ago. I've gotten stupider and stupider as the years have gone on. Um, uh, and to, to put that 2022 conference finals run in perspective, it, it feels like ancient history. It's like uh, not long ago at all. Right. Um, they had a great, they had a very good defense that year, as you point out. And it was one that was built on no magic talent bullet. It was scheme, execution, and attention to detail. It was not luck. Like, there was not a lot of shooting yeah. luck involved in it. 
it was just a team that was kind of dialed in across the board, a team of unspectacular defenders. I mean, Finney Smith's good, Bullock's good, but they're not yeah. spectacular. They don't have, didn't have a great rim protector or anything like that backing them up. They just executed their scheme really well almost every single time down the floor. They need to get back to that. And I keep I write this stat down every time I talk about the Mavericks. You look at the minutes in that uh, playoff minutes in 2022. It's still 2023, so not long since no. then. Players who ranked first, second, third, and fifth in postseason minutes for that team are gone. Like no. the degree of turnover is astounding. Um, and here we are with the team that I, I do think is good. I just. Like, if you asked me what is a successful season, what is, like, a above expectations outcome for the Mavericks? What Maybe if you want to say ceiling, maybe maybe that's what we're – maybe ceiling is the right terminology. I don't know. It feels like second round to me is, like, a reasonable – I don't want to say – I don't like putting ceilings on. I don't like putting yeah. ceilings on people, Tim McMahon. Tim, people can develop and change. But that feels like a reasonable, like – Oh wow, we had a great season outcome. I, beyond that, feels a little iffy to me. So I, I would say a successful season is a season in which Luka Doncic gets on the private jet to head home to Slovenia and says, "You know what? This thing's heading in the right direction. Um, I, I feel good about the direction of the franchise. I feel good about uh, the pieces in place around me, and you know the the way that they're going. Like the, whether." I probably would require a second round thing, but you know, like Derek Lively's probably not going to be a guy who just hits the ground running as a one and done uh, NBA rookie. But has the, know, has the skill set you want? Yes, lob catcher he, defense, but mm -hmm. it's it's hard for rookies, man. It's just hard. Yeah, but if he's a guy who you know, over the course of the season, and like this guy I was just talking to, says, hey, by the end of the season, he's really given them good minutes. And and because for this team to be a real threat, they've, they've got to be better at the center position. Like, it's not Dwight Powell's fault that he's the Maverick starting center, most likely. Uh, he gets beat up by fans. It's not his fault they haven't upgraded there. They've tried, and they've failed miserably to, to use – your taxpayer mid-level uh, on JaVel McGee and give him a three-year deal and the promise of a starting job. And then the promise of the starting job lasts two weeks. And you, you know, I wanted to get through the whole podcast. After a year. I look forward to when we can get through a whole Mavericks podcast. Just for the sake of the sanity of Dallas fans, without using either of the J words, Jalen Brunson, or JaVale McGee. Maybe in 2025, <laughs> we can get through a whole Mavericks podcast without mentioning one or both of them. Listen, it's it's not our fault that things have gone haywire and, and the, the Celtics have their the Celtics have their Jays, the Mavericks have their Jays. <laughs> Hey, and you know, you go back to the three J's back in the day. One of them's the head coach now. Oh, you got wow. Jackson, Jamal Mashburn, you know. There there's been some J's. Uh, yeah, people need to Google, those. Google, do some Googling on that. That was a, that was a interesting era on and off the floor for the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how much of what you find on Google will be true. I'm still not sure, to be honest with you. Um, I hope it's all true. <laughs> but 
again, they've just, they've got to get better at the center position. The hope is that by drafting Derek Lively, developing him, Tyson Chandler's been working with him. They did hire Alex Jensen, um, who'd been with the Jazz for a long time, was the driving force behind Rudy Gobert's development. I think they've got good people in place to work with this guy. I've heard nothing but good things about him from a, you know, obviously athletically, like he's a seven foot one athlete. I've heard nothing but good things from him about like a, you know, character, work ethic, all those kind of things. He very well could be a a significant piece of a really good team sooner than later, but it won't be right away. Um, that I mean, that's that would be great if he if by the end of the season Derek Lively's playing twelve to fifteen good minutes a night, mm-hmm. you'd feel fantastic about that. I think. Um. That's where I am with the Mavs. I think they're going to be an elite offense. I think Kyrie, you made one thing you said before, Luka's defensive rebounding. One of the things I liked about Kyrie on this team from the beginning was when Luka gets those rebounds, he's got a guy he can hit it ahead to, and this team just desperately needed someone to get their ass moving in transition to get like just a couple possessions where you get easy shots early in the shot clock. It's not a goddamn slog every time. Kyrie's really good at that. And I don't want to belabor this because we've talked about it before. The two-man game between them is something they've got to lean further into than they did last year. I was actually surprised how rarely they used it. It felt like just such a natural extension of the small, the 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 kind of wing point guard pick and rolls that Luca likes to run to get size mismatches, and what Kyrie had with LeBron in Cleveland. I I, I would imagine. That was one of the projects talked about in the coaches' meetings in the offseason. You put those two things together, I just don't see any way this is not a very good offensive team. Yeah, listen, I don't think anybody's worried about whether they're score points. There's a lot of things to worry about. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, they were a damn good offense after the trade last year. Uh, they should be better than that. Um, but <laughs> that's that. That's not enough even to crack the play in. And I know Mavs fans don't want to hear about like a second round exit would be a quote ceiling or something like that for this team. That's just life in the West, man. Like there's going to be, you go across the board. I was out to dinner with someone last night in LA. We were listing all the decent to good, good, decent to very good to elite teams in the West. And we talked about how people do this exercise. Like they don't even mention Minnesota. Minnesota's like an afterthought. I think Minnesota's going to be good this year. Like I, they pushed Denver. Is I mean they didn't push them. They lost four to one. But without McDaniel's, without Nas Reed, that's a good team. That because people focus on the sort of top teams and then the sexy wild card teams like Dallas or the Pelicans with Zion. Like they're just the West is absolutely loaded. Uh, the the mm-hmm. Thunder get a lot of buzz because they're young and exciting and blah blah. Houston upgraded here and there. West is just loaded. Like second round exit for the Mavs, I think would be a great a, a great season. Anyway, Tim I mean, McMahon. Hey, a second round play in exit would be a massive upgrade from what we saw a year ago. It would be. It would be. We're just gonna just some years you gotta throw into the dustbin of history, move on, <laughs> pretend like they didn't happen, don't say any of the J words, and move on with life. Tim McMahon, uh, a regular on the Hoop Collective. I think a co-owner of the Hoop Collective. You need to get your image. You and Bontemps need to get your faces on the logo of the Hoop Collective. I can't. I can. I feel bad asking either of you to come on this podcast because you're, you're that. That's your show along with Brian. Now you need to get your faces up there. There's a there's a bootleg 
uh, cartoon drawing that has Bond Timps very prominently on there. I'm also on there. Now, it was done by Kiki Bond Timps, the uh, beautiful Mrs. Bond Timps, an outstanding artist. That That's my preferred logo, not this thing where it's it's windy, the, you know, Actually, did you know that he is changing the pronunciation of his name? He's going to be Windhurst now. He's he's decided that he's he's really leaning into the German thing. So he's no longer Wendy. He's now Vindy. Globetrotting or just across the world. Um, I I do. He does have the best hair of the three of you, and arguably the best hair at the worldwide leader. <laughs> no, nah, he would. He was a lot cooler when he had a buzz cut. He's gone, you know, he, he's got all, he like gets, he's basically got an endorsement deal with his goop that he puts in his hair now. Vindy's gone Hollywood on us. Vindhorst. All right, Tim McMahon, uh, your coverage is awesome across the league. I'll see you soon, buddy. And uh, keep that Denver bar tab between us, please, in the future, okay? <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. Adios, amigos. <laughs>